Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today is gonna be real special. It is 5th October 2020 and I love Halloween. Like the whole month of October, I love it. Not just because I get to dress real cute, but also because we get to bask in a real creepy mood for like a whole month. And guys, today is going to be real educational. Some regional cross-cultural shiz. And today we have a special friend on the show, not just for the intro this time. And this is Margaret. And her granddad was a real, honest-to-God, or you know, not-God, Bomo. Hello, I'm Margaret, my grandfather, Bomo. <laughs> Hi, I'm Teddy. And I'm Margaret. And today we're looking at Ahmad Suraji, also known as the Black Magic Killer. One of not just Asia, but the world's most prolific killers. He murdered 42 women and girls over 11 years. So how did he get started? Ahmed was born on either 10th Jan 1949 or December 12, 1952 in North Sumatra near Medan. We don't really know when he was born because he was born in a rural village and the record keeping there was just not that great, you know, because it's a rural village. So these two dates are usually used with 10th of January being used more commonly. And for context, a flight from Singapore to Medan is actually only 1 hour 15 minutes away, so it's pretty close. When he was a kid, he was known as Nasib Kalawang, but we'll just call him Ahmad for simplicity's sake. His father was a subsistence farmer, but he also worked as a shaman or dukun, which is like basically their version of what like... Bomo. Yeah, <laughs> it's like their version of what a bomo is. And it's also what they're known as in Indonesia. They are basically the healer, the spirit medium, the sorcerer slash masters of black magic. You need some mystical shit done, they got you. Allegedly, allegedly, because we don't really know, his dad was pretty abusive. Like, a lot of serial killers. A lot of serial killers, they got father issues, they got daddy issues. Oh no. You know he got that childhood trauma. But that said, his father was also respected in the community because he was the dukun. And you know, usually when you're in that position, people will respect you at the very least. And again, we don't know much, but it pretty much sounds like he was abused and he was neglected when he was growing up. And it looks like he might have been bullied because he was known for picking fights when he was a kid. At 18, he runs away and he gets arrested for violence and theft. It's only for a year, right? But it's an Indonesian prison. And I don't want to imagine what a year in an Indonesian prison is like. Lah. Don't drop the soap. <laughs> After that, he gets out. And then at 19, he gets arrested again. He's in jail for 10 years. So he only comes out when he's 30. So that's like a whole decade of his life in prison. Are you? He's you all thrown away. It's true. So he comes out, right? And he tries to be a cattle farmer. You know, you want to farm the cow. But then he's damn bad at being a cattle farmer. He goes and steals other people's cows. And then he goes back to jail for being a cattle thief. Isn't he just supposed to like protect his own cows? Why he go and gay kyang, go and steal people's cows some more? <laughs> yeah, so that's like three times, right? In and out of the Indo prison in Madan. Oh my god. Ayo, why he want to go to prison so much? <laughs> 
So when he gets out, he got some of that personal growth. So he spends a year in the forest learning how to do magic, okay? And we don't know like if he had any reading material or what, any 10-year series. <laughs> um, we got a quote here for when, from when he was interviewed afterwards where he said, No, I did not learn sorcery from anyone else besides my father. So it sounds like his dad was the one who taught him how to, to do all the mystical shit lah. Uh, a bit late, uh. Why didn't he just learn it earlier? I know, right? Okay, so we also know that at some point, among everything, his father actually dies. So apparently, even though he was a dukun, right? His family Muslim, which is like most of Indonesia. So <laughs> you look so surprised. Oh, but I mean, like, is that uh, is dukuns like a common thing in Indonesia? Uh, from what I read, it's kind of common-ish in the rural area. People will approach them for stuff lah, for like, oh, I need it to rain, or oh, can you make me rich, can you make me beautiful, can you make my, my husband not cheat? Oh, cool. So it's not something that is like the Islam religion per se. It's more like an Indonesian tradition. Yeah, it's some sort of like pseudo-spiritual thing that's in line with um, Indonesian culture, if I'm not wrong. But, but you can definitely correct me lah. I'm not like an expert on this. Cool, cool. Yeah, so because he's um, he's a practicing Muslim, he can have multiple wives. But right, you can have multiple wives, but they cannot be siblings. In this time, he gets three wives, and all three of them are sisters. And his and the sibling thing is not okay. So his mom like freaking hates it. His mom tells him not to, but he still goes and marries the sisters. Margaret, you can have uh, same husband with your sister, not. <laughs> Ew, that's damn gross. I don't know why the like the three wives agreed to this. <laughs> Alright. In total, him and his three wives, right? They have nine kids, okay? What, three times three? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so weird because you and your sister are like fucking the same guy. Um, so he starts to work as a uh, dukun and I suspect from some coincidences, right? Like, oh, maybe his herbal knowledge just happened to cure this person's fever or his like magic quote-unquote happens to coincide with good weather. Um, it seems to work. So it's to the point where the people in his village, they quite respected him. His neighbours legit thought that he could move the clouds, which is super important for farmers. And they legit thought that he could heal sick people. I mean, he, he managed to get three sisters who like love it at the same time. So I guess there's some truth to that magic. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so this goes on for a couple of years. And in 1986, right, he's in his mid-30s already. Because remember, he spends like 10 years in jail. And he has a dream, okay? And when you're doing mystic shit, your dream means something. And in this dream, he sees his dead father. And his dead father goes and imparts some words of wisdom to him. Like, a oh boy, my pawn stash is just under that. Okay. <laughs> just um, find it and don't let other people know. No, 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 he's like, Son, you must drink the saliva of 70 dead women. What the fuck? <laughs> That's a bit much. And when you drink the saliva of these 70 dead women, you will become invincible. I think more like you just get like some kind of STD, like herpes or something. <laughs> now, if you're listening, right? Hey, Margaret, you're listening, right? Oh, yeah, Margaret here. Uh. He didn't like freaking say to kill 70 women, okay? He just told him to drink the saliva of 70 women. He didn't freaking tell him to kill 70 women. I think Ahmad kind of overdid it. He's too hardworking, la. He tried to like make sure he really get the saliva or something. 
Remember he's this great sorcerer slash shaman slash dukun slash everything, right? So like any good black magic practitioner, he got a lot of clients. Because if not, how you make money? And a lot of them were women. Because he got specialized. His speciality was helping women. What he did was he would make the women's husbands or their boyfriends don't cheat and if they cheat to make them come back to them or if they fight and they broke off the engagement to make them like... You know what I mean, right? Yeah, he's like the OBGYN of like BOMOS. <laughs> uh, women's speciality, women's clinic. This boy, Ahmed, he got a real good rep, lots of clients, real good shit for him. And that's really convenient for him because number one... His clients are already women. Number two, you know you're gonna black magic your boyfriend, Kay. You know you're gonna black magic your fiancé, Margaret. You black magic your fiancé, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And you're gonna black magic him so he doesn't cheat on you. It's not something that you're gonna go around telling people, Hey babe, I'm gonna go to the black magic practitioner to black magic you, Kay. Oh, okay, so the husbands, they all don't know that the wife go and seek this guy lah. Yeah, and you also won't tell your parents, because your parents will be like, Margaret, why are you going black matching people? Oh, yeah, maybe he has like a bad rap, I guess. So basically, easier to like keep things hush-hush lah. Yeah, easier to keep things hush-hush. So do you want to know how he did it? How? Alright, so you're the girl, right? Pretend you're the girl, Margaret. Hello, I'm the girl. So you want to get some magic done. So you call up. Ring, ring, hello, can I get my magic appointment? 7pm, okay, can? Okay. Okay, thank you. And then Ahmad would tell his wife, Hey babe, we got magic appointment coming. Please uh, prep the house, everything. And then you know the prep wife... The, mouth, the house meaning like sharpen the knives? Uh, so allegedly, right? Allegedly, allegedly, his wife didn't know that this happened. Uh. He did, his wife didn't know that he was, ki- he was killing people. But a lot of people oh. online, they actually have a theory that his wife knew. Because uh, I mean... How to hide this kind of thing? Exactly. And their house is not big somehow. I watched the documentary. Their house is like quite small. Like, Actually, maybe like you look at the land area of the actual structure. It's maybe a five-room flat like that. Ayo, how to hide things? Ah? Exactly. So 7 o'clock comes and you walk or drive or you rickshaw your way there. And you go in and discuss your problems and what the next step will be. You know, like therapy. And then, right, because this is a business, Ahmed isn't doing this out of the goodness of his heart. And legit, he got three wives, his mom, and nine kids to feed. That is a lot of hungry people. You have to pay up first. And it's not even cheap. Guess how much it is? $10. No, it's like $300. That's like an actual staycation already. $300 leh. Like 300 sing? Yeah, it's around 300 sing. Oh, for real? These wives must be really desperate housewives. And only after he collects your money first, alright? Ahmad will be, alright, cool, come this way, madam. So, around his house, there's this massive sugarcane fields. And the sugarcane can grow up to like 3-4 meters. Okay. Oh, how convenient. Right? When they were in a very secluded part of this 3-4 meter high sugarcane forest, sometimes there will be already a hole if he got prepped. And other times, he will actually tell the woman to dig a hole. He'll be like, Hey Margaret, you want your boyfriend to love you, right? Go and dig the hole. Okay, anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean because you already paid $300 for the ritual, right? Some cost fallacy. Exactly. So just dig law. Just dig <laughs> The hole will be damn deep. It'll be really deep. It's for that bitches who my my husband is cheating on. <laughs> it's not for me. It's for those bitches. I'm sorry. It's for you. <laughs> oh no. And it's usually like one meter or so. And then until the women were like halfway around the waist, right? And then after that, because they thought he was doing some magic, he'll also be like, Hey, I'm going to tie you up now. Huh? Oh, wow. I 
symbolise this? Maybe it's like to symbolise time that bitch my husband is dating. <laughs> yeah, so they will tie her up and then we'll be like, okay, tie me up. And cause you pay $300 and you, you actually think that this will prevent your husband, boyfriend, fiancé from being a skank, right? You go along with it. And then you're on the hole, you're tied up. It's usually late at night. Around you is all sugar cane. And then he will strangle you. Oh, no shit, I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> hey, and uh, if you didn't know, strangulation is nothing like the movies. Nothing like the movies at all. What do you mean? It's super physical thing. You know like when you have a gun and you shoot somebody, it's like bang, boom, you're dead. Mm-hmm. But then when you strangle somebody, it's not fast. It's not like 2-3 minutes. It takes at least 15 minutes to kill somebody. So for 15 minutes, you're like, your hands are around your neck and you're like choking them. Oh, not so fast to die lah. I need to like choke them for a while. Yeah, so it takes a lot of effort and it's very, it's very weird, it's very intimate because you're touching them the whole time they're dying. So that's when he drinks their saliva? No, no, no. Only, <laughs> only when they die. Because remember, his father said the 70 women must be dead. Must be dead woman's saliva. So they must die first. And then only when they were dead, he will like just kind of lean in like this. Uh-huh. He, he reenacted the whole thing at some point. He'll lean in like this. Mm-hmm. And he will suck the saliva out of their mouth and you can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And the thing is that we're not laughing through this entire process because it's funny at all. It's not funny at all. It's simply absurd. Yeah, it's just so ridiculous and it's so fucked up what he does. He admitted to doing this to 42 women, like kids. Because remember, we were like girls, like literally small girls, and they were as young as 11. And I think those weren't the ones that came to him as clients. Those were just like neighborhood kids. So how he attract those neighborhood kids? Not like they got husbands to go and bewitch or anything. They don't actually go into much detail. They actually only go into detail of the older women because that's what they could track. But I think neighborhood kids, he just... Kidnap law. Yeah, just kidnap. Oh, yeah. quite easy lah. Yeah, very scary. Very, very scary. Don't let your kids be running around. In the future, have a tracker on your children at all times. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so this goes on for 11 whole freaking years. Nobody catches him for 11 whole years. Imagine all these girls, they just go missing for 11 whole years. From 1986 to 1997. So for 11 whole years, all these girls were just going missing. And so that happened, right? When we were kids. Yeah. So now we're up to 24th April 1997. I think I was like a few years old. How old are you? A few years old also? Margaret quite old eh. <laughs> Thank you, Margaret. <laughs> so this farmer, right? Because remember it's a village. He goes to the field to feed his animals, feed the cow, uh, feed the pig. Uh. Still feeding cow. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Never feed, learned his lesson. Feed the goat. No, no, this is not Ahmed. This is his farmer neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Neighbor, Haven't neighbor. still yet. That's why he's still there. <laughs> and I think everybody have goats there. I mean, even even uh, Ahmad Suraji, he also had uh, goats. I watched the documentary. He had a goat pen and everything. Alright, and FYI, the documentary can be found in the comments section. So when he's feeding his animals, he comes across a mound of freshly dark dirt. A freshly amount of freshly dark soil. And he's like, oh, wow. <laughs> These dirt are very suspicious, huh? <laughs> but why? This is, isn't this rural site like they got the farming and all this going on, right? I don't know, but this pile of dirt is like especially suspicious. And then he goes to the village chief because it's a village. And they gather a bunch of villagers to like check out the mound. They're like, oh, the mound a bit suspicious. You know, humans like to do, you know, like they like to take the stick to put things to figure it out. So they take a stick and they put the mound. And out comes the smell of rotten meat, like decaying, like really gross. I think that's a cause for suspicion before <laughs> the mound was even before poked. Yeah. So they run to tell the military because there's like um, military personnel there or something. And the military were like, 
Nah, we aren't touching this. Why don't you go and dig it up, right? And if you find the body, then you tell us. Oh, they like push here, push there. So it takes six guys. It takes six guys, two hours to dig like a mad question. Alright, and when they finally dig it up, they find a decaying body. They find a woman and they recognize her. Her family was probably from the same village or like near enough that they knew who she was. And her name was Sri Kamala Dewi. We'll just call her Dewi from this point onwards. So three days earlier, she went to Ahmad's house and she was fighting with her fiancé and she wanted him back. So he did the same thing. Ahmad collected the money from her. He brought her out into the sugarcane field and during this whole period of time, she was scared. He had to like convince her and calm her and he actually told his wife to come with them so that um, she would be comforted. She'd be like, oh, there's somebody else here but guess what? Uh, allegedly, allegedly, his wife didn't know lah but this time the wife went out with them. She went into the hole and then he strangled her and he sucked out her saliva. And when he was done, him and his wife, they stripped her. So when they found her in the hole, she was naked. And then they buried her. And so, right, they still don't know it's him. So here's how he got caught. It's the wife, right? (laughs) (laughs) No shit. (laughs) No, no, no. So three days earlier on 24th April, so Dewi took a rickshaw to Ahmed's house. Because, you know, last time rickshaws, I think maybe now rickshaws are still like a means of transport. And the rickshaw driver, he was damn young. He was like 15, so he's a teenager. And his name was Andrea Suito. So remember how women, like, they didn't really want to let people know where they were going? So she directed Andreas until they were about halfway there before telling him where she was going. And this all happened, like, quite late at night. Andreas actually remembered she didn't want to ride back to her house either, which is a bit weird because you can't really call a Grab or Uber in 1997 in rural Indonesia. So I think at the back of his head, he was thinking, how is this girl going to come back? Right? So because of this, Andreas actually speaks out and the police goes to Ahmed's house and then there they found Dewi's handbag. They find her dress. They find her bracelet. So the evidence is quite damning. Lah. And he's arrested on 30th of April, just six days after killing her. It takes a while. At first, he doesn't actually admit to killing her. He acts innocent, but they have so much evidence that eventually he does. Then he admits to five... 9, 11, 13, until finally they settle on 42 bodies. They dig up the sugarcane field, they actually get an excavator. And because this is rural Indonesia, everybody comes up to watch. I saw the videos of it, there were like hundreds and hundreds of people just like surrounding the excavator. It's just not super safe. And they find body after body after body. Most of it at this point, because it's been 11 years, is just bone. And they can't do any forensics to find out who these women were because it's not in great shape. The bone is everywhere. Everything is a little bit broken. Just natural decay. And so they asked for families who are missing daughters, who are missing girls. And guess what? 80 families come up. So maybe it's more than 42, but they were only able to find 42 bodies. And I think that's also why he like was like, okay, yeah, I killed 42 people. He even admitted right that in the off-season, when he didn't have as many clients... He would hire prostitutes because nobody's going to look out for a prostitute. And when they were there to literally just do their job, he would kill them. Yeah, so you're quite pissed at this guy, right? So They're just trying to earn money. Like, he's trying to earn money from them back, I guess. When he was interviewed, right? Remember we were discussing how his dad just told him to drink the saliva from dead people? He own self go and admit, okay? This is not misinterpretation. He own self go and admit. This is a quote. My father did not specifically advise me to kill people. So I was thinking, 
It would take ages if I had to wait to get 70 women. I was trying to get to it as fast as possible. I took my own initiative to kill. Wow! Wayang King, eh? <laughs> yeah, so his dad didn't even tell him to kill the people. And it wasn't some weird misinterpretation on his part. He literally was like, okay, my father didn't actually tell me to kill, but I'm gonna like get this done as fast as possible. I'm gonna kill people. I guess he's that kind of guy who just like to check things off his to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> on 28th of April, 1998, He's found guilty and sentenced to death. The court is completely packed with people and there's actually people standing out of the courtroom watching his trial on TV outside. And everybody cheers when the sentencing is read. So what's the sentencing? Death. <laughs> oh no shit! I think he deserves to die over 42 times. And his wife, the one that helped him kill Dewi, she was also sentenced to death. But later it got reduced to life in prison because allegedly, allegedly... His wife didn't know anything about this and his this wife was just very unlucky to be the one to help him out that night. And his other two wives, they just kind of leave the village forever because, I mean... Why would they want to associate with this guy? Yeah, the villagers, they actually, you know, they go to his house and they just completely tear it down. And when they tear it down, they find something like 20 watches and women's clothes. Remember I told you he had a goat pen? They find it under his goat pen. So they know for sure that he was like... Like, definitely, like, their daughters went missing if they found, like, their stuff in his house lah. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely a killer. And before he died, right, he wasn't actually, he didn't actually seem sad that he was going to get executed. In interviews, what he was actually sad about was that he never actually got to kill the 70 women. Yeah. Ayo, he really is that kind of guy who wants to just check his to-do list, like, as fast as possible. Right. And on July 10th, 2008, so that's actually only 12 years ago, he was executed by firing squad because that's a method of execution in Indonesia, it's not hanging. And it took him 3 minutes to die in comparison to like the 15 or 20 minutes that most of his victims had to go through. Oh, okay. Actually, I thought like firing squad quite fast eh. No, no, it took him 3 whole minutes to die. Because you're like, because they don't actually aim for like the vital parts. So you, oh. yeah, the whole logic of the firing squad is that you don't know who killed the fatal bullet. Yeah, so it's not like one person you know you killed the guys. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So it's like a whole squad of people just shooting at him. Yeah, and then he just dies. Leads to death. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, Margaret. Sup, Teddy? Do you enjoy this week's episode on A Briefcase? Very much. I hope you listeners enjoyed our cross-cultural episode on Ahmad Suraji, the black magic killer. You can find us on Instagram at abriefcase underscore and do join us next week for another brief case. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.